0: Well, what I want to say that is very worthwhile, we're having another testimony this morning because Catherine is going to share with us how God has just been so faithful to her over these, uh, well, last few months really. I mean, has been faithful before. it makes it sound wrong, doesn't it? It's definitely been faithful all through her life of 21 years. And we see what the latest is.
1: To go up there. Um, first of all, I have to forgive me oh, you'll have to forgive me if I get a bit of emotional because this story is still very very raw um, and still very, very close to home and hasn't actually finished yet um so I've written a few things down to keep me on the straight and narrow in case I get lost off um. <laughs> But my story starts around about, well, over 30 years ago when something happened to me at school um, which has had a profound effect on me for the rest of my life. Um, It has damaged my self-confidence and my self-belief, which I've really, really struggled with. As a lot of you will know, um, my family's gone through a lot of challenges, especially with my dad over the years with health. but. This part of my story starts around about 18 months ago to two years ago when Dad came through yet another one of his life-challenging events. Um, and I've seen so many miracles that God has done for Dad, but I've never really seen anything for me as an individual. I know I've seen it for Dad, and I was, I was a part of that because he's still with me. Um, but about 18 months ago to two years ago, I remember saying to God, will you, prepare, will you perform a miracle for me? I've got a serious back condition, so my thought was, God, will you do a miracle for me and heal my back? Didn't happen. So, at the beginning of this year, um, I started facing one of the, in fact, the most challenging period of my working career. I got a new manager at work, um, and he basically couldn't or wouldn't see what I was capable of doing and was actually doing. And suddenly I was faced with being told that I was worthless, I was no good at my job, and my ability was seriously being brought into question. One Sunday morning, Dad brought a word, um, about when you are facing the serious challenges of your life to sing out loud God's praises, but I just couldn't do it. So instead every morning on my way to work, bearing in mind I live in Houghton and I work in Long Benton at the far side of Newcastle, um I put a worship CD on every morning um, and tried to sing along in my head because I couldn't sing out loud, so I tried to sing along in my head. For the next couple of months, I did everything I could to show my manager what, everything that he was asking for, um, that I was actually delivering it. But unfortunately, he wasn't interested in what I had to say or to show him as he'd already made up his mind. But just after Easter, things came to a head and my health and confidence had been had been affected so much that I was just a quivering wreck and I gave in and went off on the sick. Something I'd avoided to do and significantly told my GP, there's absolutely no way I'm going on the sick. Um, But I just had to do it. So discussions with my manager while I was off on the sick went from bad to worse to the point where my blood pressure um, was at a point that if my GP had known how high it was, I would have been hospitalised, but I'd kept it quiet. So the first Friday I was off sick. I came to the coffee and chat morning here. um, And even though I knew I was in a safe environment, I was just a quivering, quivering wreck. um, And I felt very, very vulnerable and just wanted to leave. But being the stubborn individual that I am, um, and with the support of Sally Mallard and Jenny Collins, who aren't here this morning, um, I managed to get through in one piece. But I was so affected by what had happened and it was still going on that I seriously, seriously considered work at just walking away from a twenty-eight year career. A week later, Dad's MCOM group were praying for both of us, um, and one of the group was given the word from God for me, and the word was, I will vindicate you, and the battle is mine. In addition, another church family member sent me messages of support and encouragement um, through Facebook um, and along with these, with God's promise kept me going when I felt I had no strength left to continue the fight and at this point the miracle started. I'd just rejoined our union and under the union rules I was not allowed any support until I'd been a member for three months. I'd only been a member for two weeks. <laughs> when I went off sick um, I'd only been a member for two weeks, two or three weeks. But during a project about a year ago, I'd met and built up a really good working relationship with one of the personal case reps. And when she found out what was going on, she agreed to support me um, officially, which was unheard of. She took up the baton and went into battle for me. And although many people were praying for me at this time, they also kept praying that Rachel would be given the words and the right actions to take. It was clear that God was listening because every hurdle I faced was knocked down like someone flicked a piece of paper. Testimonies started coming in from staff that I lead Um, and whilst whilst I was off and this was happening it gave me the strength and it started to give me the encouragement to start fighting back. After a month of being off I decided I had to go back to work even though I was neither physically nor mentally ready to do so. But still my church family continued to support me through prayer. And my memory, which for the last few months had been non-existent, um, suddenly came back to life um, when I needed it. And events and conversations suddenly resurfaced and I was able to collate lots and lots of evidence to counteract the accusations that had been thrown at me. Whilst I knew that my manager's claims were completely unfair, unbi- they were biased and false, you still have that nervous feeling inside that something has gone wrong and that you were to blame. And that something was fabricated, was hiding somewhere. Now I found that during, the work, during my travel to work on the morning, I was actually able to sing out loud to the worship CD in the car, not just in my head, but out loud. And the louder and louder I got, <laughs> the day wasn't much better, but I actually had the strength to get through. I was so angry with my manager, but also angry with myself for being angry with him. And this was eating away at me and preventing me from moving forward. Eventually, I reluctantly agreed to a mediation meeting, although I felt it was a complete waste of time and it wasn't going to encourage me to withdraw the grievance that I'd already put in formally. The meeting was the hardest meeting of my working life. I wanted to stay strong and I didn't want Rob to see just how upset I was. However, the Holy Spirit had another idea. As soon as I opened my mouth to speak, I completely broke down to the point where I was actually struggling to breathe because I was so distraught. My manager said very little during this meeting, but eventually he hung his head halfway through and said he felt terrible that he had made me feel the way that I had. I took the plunge, trusted in God, and told him how angry I was at him and also for myself for allowing him to make me angry. At this point, all of the anger that I felt towards him just disappeared. For the first time in four months, I felt like it might be possible to work with him again. Although the mediation meeting was a horrible experience in one way, it was very exhilarating in another, and I was able to see that whilst I wanted to show him how strong I was by not showing emotion, by breaking down, it was the only way I could make him see the consequences of his actions. That was two weeks ago. The atmosphere has greatly improved at work, and whilst I still don't trust him as yet... I am able to be professional and personable with him. I'm not at the end of this experience yet and I am about to face more major challenges over the summer because I'm going to be actually on my own looking after 350 staff instead of the 90 staff that I normally look after. But I'm trusting that God is putting me in this position to gain the victory that he has promised. A couple of weeks ago, Ian Portwine was speaking on healing and I felt that God was encouraging me to share this story with you back then. However, it wasn't quite the right time. But that day, Lisa came and prayed for me, um, and I really felt a change in my, my circumstances. At the end of the meeting, she came up to me and said that the, the, the chronic fatigue that Ian had been speaking about and I had been feeling was not a physical tiredness, but an emotional one due to all of the emotional baggage that I was carrying with me. This obviously hit me home, hit home so much. And since then, I've tried to cast off some of this baggage, and I can say that I do feel better, although I'm not there yet. But last week, Pete from the Sawtooth, I can never remember how to pronounce that, something like that, gave a passage from Proverbs 3, verse 5: "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding." I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and it's easy to know God's grace up here, but it's very, very difficult to feel it in your heart. I can't in world terms, logically explain all of the things that have happened at work and how they've come to pass. But I do know that God has been in it all the way and he's been answering, he's been opening those doors, he's been showing these miracles left, right and centre. So when I asked him two years ago to show me a miracle, he's now showing so many I can hardly keep up with them. But with regard to the healing that Ian was speaking of a couple of weeks ago, the experience that I found at school um, over 30 years ago that's had a profound impact on me, that was the start of the healing process. <laughs> so something that affected me <laughs> for all of my adult life. God's promises he always delivers on. It might not be in our time scale, and sometimes we can be quite impatient, but it will be in God's time. And I know that God is going to completely heal me of the bitterness and the hurt that I feel from being bullied for all the way through school thirty years ago. But I no longer hold on to the fact that I'm always at fault when something goes wrong. I know that it's not just my fault and that there are other factors involved. So I just wanted to encourage anybody who is going through a tough time and you feel as though God's not answering your promises, it may not be in your time. But I promise you, God's answers, God's promises will be answered, but it will be in his time, not ours.
0: Very powerful testimony from both Peter and Catherine. And... On the back of that, I would like us just to take a few minutes to pray. I'm not going to ask people to come out. But if you are looking for work, or you're looking for other work, or you need to see a breakthrough in your present work, could you stand? Because we just want to pray. I'm going to ask Richard if he'll come out and pray for us. Richard. Excellent. And there's a very good reason why I've asked Richard to come out because not many of you know, but when Richard was much younger than he is now, and much heavier than he is now, no. <laughs> Richard and Barbara faced eight and a half years of unemployment. Nine, nine years, was it? Just excuse us while we have a chat. Nine. No? <laughs> yeah. Nine years of unemployment and through all of that time, they were relying upon God, looking to God. And I'm not saying it was always easy, but they got through and they can now testify, you know, to how God just brought them through that. Now, we are not saying that you need to look for nine years. (laughs) That is not what we're saying. But what we're saying is, God is with you. God is faithful. And he will see you through. So, if you are sitting around these people, can you just stand alongside and put a hand on their shoulder. And I have it on good authority, it will not bite. Because we need God to make the difference here. There we are. Well done, Bev. Get there in the end. Anyone else? And let's just look to God to come and give the breakthrough. Amen.
2: Thank you. Praise God. Jesus. Paul said, my God is able to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And having been on the journey a long time, I'd like to say the same thing to you. My God, my God is able to meet all your needs. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today. You're an incredible, faithful God. If we're honest with you, Father, we don't like the challenges we go through. Mm. But we know there's nowhere else to go. The challenges we face, Father, bring pain, disappointment, and hurt, and discouragement, and make us want to feel that we want to throw the towel in sometimes and give up. But God... Is faithful mm-hmm. to all his promises. As a Holy Spirit, we ask you for every person that is standing here right now that today you bring divine intervention yes. into their circumstances. That emotionally, Father, they suddenly feel more alive in you. That their faith, Father, will rise towards you. It's not faith in faith but we put our faith in You. We lean heavily upon You, Lord Jesus, because You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, we look forward to many stories of Your goodness, Your grace, and Your faithfulness coming about as You you intervene in our circumstances. For every person that is standing, every person that has taken a step of faith, we pray, God, divine intervention. Demonstrate Your goodness and Your grace again and perform the miracle that is personal For each one, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. I want us to return to worship in a little while. And so I'm not going to return to speak for too long. But what I want to share very much follows on from what Pete shared last week. Pete from Lesotho. Just, it's one of those words like millennium. just cannot say. From a country in Africa. <laughs> about leaning on Jesus. And I was looking at the story of the men who had the friend who was paralysed. And they dropped him down through the roof. And we know how the story ends. I'll just read this from Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus And after digging through it, Lord, the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now let's just drop down because we know that the man is healed. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now this story is an extremely familiar story to many of us. This man being let down through the roof. But the first thing that really struck me was something that I would not seen before. And you know how God comes and he sort of highlights things. You've read stories many, many times, but something you've just missed. And the thing that really missed, uh, that I missed, is was when it says... In verse 1, that he was at home, or in the version I was using, that Jesus had come home. And so you can read this story of what happens to the house and all the rest of it, but forget the fact that this house may well have been Jesus' own home. So he's coming to his own home, he's moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, he's come home, he's come home perhaps for a bit of a break, but he doesn't get a break because people here, he's at home, they're pressing in on him, and this is Jesus' own home that the men are digging a hole in the roof. Now you see, I don't mind people digging holes in other people's roofs, but when it comes to digging a hole in my roof, I would have a huge problem. And I was just thinking about putting myself into this story very often, you know, it's good just to take a step back and put ourselves into the story to see how we can enter into it and what feelings we might have. So here is Jesus in his own home and the men are digging a hole in the roof to get through, uh, to get their friend through for healing. And for me it's a little bit difficult to sort of bring this up to date, because I can't imagine anyone climbing onto the home of a British house, removing tiles, removing the felt, removing the lats, having to get down, then you've got to take the ceiling out, in order to get through to where you want. And I couldn't imagine that. So it's a little bit like one step removed. And then I began to think, what would be perhaps an equivalent for us And I want you to imagine that you are in your small group meeting uh, during the week. And of course, if you're not in one, you can't do that. But you need to repent and God will add you to a small group. Yes, Amen! But you're in your small group meeting. And Jesus is present in a very powerful way. And people around hear that people are being healed when you're gathering in your front room. And there you are. You are the hands of Jesus. You are the voice of Jesus into a situation. And you're thrilled to bits as people are coming and being healed in your front room. And then you look up and you see someone trying to remove the window frame to get in. Now again, if it was your house, I wouldn't have a problem. But I think I would have a problem if it was my house. Because I think I would probably be more concerned about the window frame being removed than about what Jesus was doing in the hearts and lives of individuals. And you see, this is where Jesus and I differ. I know it comes as a shock. But when we read read Scripture... It says, when Jesus saw their faith. I think I would have been inclined to have seen the window frame first. It doesn't say, when Jesus saw the hole in the roof. (laughs) It says, when Jesus saw their faith. And you know what? This is telling us that Jesus is looking at the inner hearts of individuals. He's seeing what is in their hearts. He's seeing what is driving them. And as a result of that, something miraculous happens. You see, these men had come to a point where they realised that being in the presence of Jesus was the place where miracles occurred. That's what it was all about. They were pressing in through to get their friend And themselves, of course, because they might have still been up on the roof, but they're looking down. And they're the ones commended for faith. So they, as well as the paralyzed man, have an encounter with Jesus as he commends them for their faith. And they had learned this incredible lesson, which we need to come back and revisit again and again. That is, as we dwell in the presence of Jesus, miracles occur. And we are a charismatic church. What does that mean? It means that we are pressing in. We want to see the presence of Jesus manifested among us in order that miracles can occur, that people can be healed, that the deaf can hear, that the lame can walk, and the blind can see. And glory to God, I've got that in the right order. Because we believe it is the presence, but we need to remind ourselves again and again and again, that it is the presence of Jesus and have a passion as these men had in order to press on through to give the context where the miracle would occur. You know, these men had a passion. They were passionate about getting into the presence of Jesus. And passion is a strong desire than can get you to do amazing things. Why do we need to be passionate in worship? Because we need to have that strong desire that as we approach the throne of grace, we receive help because we know Jesus is there. But we need to press in to the presence in order to get the miracle. And so often we give up, or so often we're distracted. So often it's too warm, it's too cold, the coffee's nicer than... You know, we we can so easily get distracted. But the reality is, it's only the presence of Jesus that makes the difference. You can sing all the most wonderful songs there are, but unless Jesus is present, they're empty songs. They might sound nice, but they're empty. You can have great gatherings, but unless Jesus is present then all you've got is a meeting. Whereas a church, what we want to do is to press through that we might have encounters. Encounters with Jesus week by week. And so as Jesus looked at these men, he saw their faith, but he saw what had come out of their faith and making a hole in the roof and blowing their friend through it. He saw that passion. A passion that was willing to remove obstacles that lay in the path of them achieving their meeting with Jesus. Ooh, there's a challenge for us. There's a challenge for us because we come with all sorts of things in our minds. We gather with all sorts of things going on. We will find obstacles and the devil will put obstacles in our way as we come to press into the presence of Jesus. Because our enemy knows... That as we come into the presence of Jesus, miracles occur. And He doesn't want miracles to occur. occur. And so the challenge is that as we come together for worship, we come together with that strong desire to do amazing things. And God responds to His people. Because He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Jesus has got to be manifest among us if we are going to see the vision God has given us fulfilled. Because it's good meetings are not the answer. Good meetings with Jesus are. But good meetings are not the answer. But I was... Um, passion is an is amazing thing, isn't it? It says, that definition I use saying that passion can get you to do amazing things. Now, do we have any train spotters here? Glory to God, because I was going to upset you. You know, there are many hobbies in the world. And train spotting is one of those that just remains an absolute mystery to me. So I do quite a few trips to to London in a year. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the weather is doing. You can be in the depth of winter and you're coming through some of the stations. And you've got these train spotters who are standing there shivering as they write down the number of the train that is just passing them. I think, why? Now, I could perhaps understand it in the days of steam, when, you know, the, the locomotives had a character. But these are basically tin boxes of wheels. I just do not get it. But this recent trip, when I was coming back from uh, London on Wednesday, I was blessed by having train spotters in the same carriage. Right? But not only were they in the same carriage, they were sitting across the aisle... From where I was. Now, I'm dwelling on this story about passion, and it was almost as if God was giving me an illustration of the insane things that passion can drive you to do. So they're sitting there, and as we were going through some stations, they would get very, oh, look, there is an 811 602. <laughs> There's a 4405. And I had the little books and I think, God, what is this about? And then. We saw. Now I need, I'm pleased just sitting down to cope with the excitement here. They saw an Azuma, the new one. I think it was in York Station. Just well, I thought the second coming had come. I mean, it was. They were. They were up. They were looking at it, and I think, you know, if we had that same passion for pursuing the presence of Jesus, what a difference! It would make. <laughs> if we had if train. Spot, oh, God bless them. <laughs> if train spotters can have that sort of passion for a metal thing on wheels, could we not have something of that passion for the presence of Jesus? And it's not someone else's responsibility. It's our own responsibility where we position ourselves spiritually as we come together as the gathered body, and as we look at that story of those men lowering their friend down through the roof, there was no, there was no apathy there, but there's a tremendous sense of determination to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith, and he commended them for it. And the miracle occurred. And I believe that as we approach, you know, all that God has got for us, we need to look at this very much in the context of the gathered community of faith, such as gathering here on a Sunday morning. Now, this isn't church, this is an expression of church. But very often when we look at passion and we look at the idea of persisting and pressing in, we consider it in the context of prayer, which is absolutely right, and I've been challenged on that this morning. But let's think about it as coming together. As we come together as God's people, as we come together, what is it we want to experience as we come together on a Sunday morning? Because the number one thing that we need to have in our minds and we press in is that we want to experience the manifest presence of Jesus where the presence of Jesus is not just a theological concept but is an experience we have in order that we might be drawn further into his plans and purposes and become more like Jesus. Now you get people who turn around and say, well you shouldn't be seeking experiences. Well let's change the term experience and use meeting. Do we not want to meet with Jesus? You know, why is, the, why is the idea that we should have an emotional involvement and experience Jesus be so foreign to some people, but it's almost, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, well, well let's excel in death then. You almost get the impression that for some people, the idea of meeting with Jesus and having an excitement and a passionate relationship with Jesus is almost like a disease that you can recover from you get over it. And yet, it's not as the very heart of who church is. What church should be. Because as we come together, we come together to exalt Jesus the Redeemer. We come together to exalt Jesus the Lion of Judah. And the Lamb of God. We come together to exalt Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we do so, Jesus meets with us and the miracles of his provision, the miracles of healing occur because heaven is touching earth. And that's where we want to live as a community. And as we come together in this way, I think, you know, church was God's idea. Now you might have problems with that. few of us here will have gone through our Christian lives without having some problems with church. It's weird, isn't it? Have you, have you ever had a Christian who's really wound you up? Now I don't want to say you're sitting next to one because it may be your husband or wife and that would not, that would not help. But we need to recognise, no one sat down in the New Testament so let's invent church, shall we? Nobody did that. What we're doing here is the plan of God. What we're engaged in on a Sunday morning and through the week and in our lives together is the very plan of God. Because he has always loved and always will love community. God Himself was a community—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He calls Adam and Eve to be the forebears of a community. Multiply, told them to multiply, because God wanted the community to increase in size and fill the earth. God called Abraham as a head of a community. God called Moses to lead a people out of slavery—a community out of slavery into freedom. And Jesus came to redeem a people. He came in order that we as individuals might be redeemed and joined to others who are redeemed in order that we might present the church with an alternative way of living in community. That's fantastic. So if we get that and we get the idea that we can be passionate for this community and passionate for Jesus, that will make a huge difference to us as we come together because we will not need a warm-up time in worship. Now, if you were to ask... Our musicians who serve us so well. In fact, actually, let's give them a round of applause. Because they serve us so well. Right, that's enough. Not that well. But, <laughs> but you know, they serve us so well week by week. But I'll tell you what they sometimes struggle with when they're faced by a community of people who can't be bothered. And you know sometimes it is a bit like that. We can't be bothered. It's almost like we've come as oh just for the coffee at the end. Now you may be thinking that even now as I stand here, but you've got a few minutes left. Coffee's not due till twelve thirty today. <laughs> but you know as we, as we come individually and we join in this community and we are ready to do business with God I believe that will transform our community life and that in itself will be a major step towards seeing the fulfilment of God's promises for us because it's a place of miracles And that's what God wants for us. That community called together for His glory. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possessions. That's who we are together. We are this royal priesthood. This holy nation. God's special possessions. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. So as we come together, we're called as God's people to declare the praises of Him. And as we declare the praises of Him, He loves to come and to presence Himself among us and perform the miracles. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I believe that there is is this one area where we can truly make a huge difference is as we come prepared to meet with Jesus as we gather each week. And it's not that we come prepared with a prophecy. It's not that we come prepared with a reading. It's that we come with our hearts prepared to meet with Jesus and see what Jesus wants to do in and through us. It's not about bringing a contribution. It's about bringing our hearts before Jesus and saying, Here I am, I'm giving myself afresh to you in order that you might be glorified in me more and more and more. And you know, that community will set a nation on fire. I, actually be- I honestly believe that as we look to God for revival and that work of revival begins with us, you know, we can pray for revival, but if we ain't revived... No, exactly, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. But if we come and we pray and we offer ourselves afresh to Jesus, then there is no limit to what Jesus can do in and through us. Do you know what this nation needs? Brexit! <laughs> Remain! How many people here know how it's going to end up? <laughs> What this, what this nation needs, God, manifested in his people, because there the world can see a difference. There the world can see a difference. I'm going to ask Ryan, if you will, and your merry men and lady will return. In fact, as our merry lady returns to the stage, hello, you're preaching in a few weeks, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I just thought I'd better check in case you'd forgotten. Let's stand. And it's only seven minutes to twelve. Glory to God. <laughs> Let's pray. Now, we're just going to end with a time of worship. I don't want to... I don't want to use this to whip up any hype. That's not the point. No, 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 no. What I want us to do is week by week is to come with our hearts prepared, ready to do business with God from the moment we gather together. So there's no warm-up time, but there is a passionate embrace in worship because we know the presence of Jesus is drawn by such a passion. And that that presence of Jesus makes the difference. Father, I just want to pray for each person here now. Lord, we pray that in these coming days, we, we will see a transformation in our gatherings because we're coming with hearts prepared to do business with you. And we know, Lord, that as we do that, you are going to be faithful to your word and you are going to meet with us in power.